chapter 5 is, is where we're going to get started. Uh, we've been in this series on the, um, the gospel and hope, and I mentioned to you last week that I specifically saved this message to, to kind of correspond with Valentine's Day. And men, if you didn't know that Valentine's Day was coming up in a couple of days, you still have time to save face, okay? And so make sure that you are aware um, Valentine's Day is coming up uh, very, very quickly. And so we're going to start in verse 18. But today, uh, just one of those things that, you know, certain pastors have a heart for this or certain pastors have a heart for, for that and, you know, just different ministries. One of the things that's always been very close to my heart is the family. Men in, in our roles as husbands and fathers and just just one of those things that the Lord just really put a burden on my heart. And so as we think about the gospel and, and hope and uh, the hope that we have because of the gospel, we've been looking at all of these different areas, first of all with our lives and our community and um, even looking at the, at the world. Um, but at the same time, I want you to kind of keep this in the context we, we've been in this season of just trying to renew ourselves thinking about our vision and what the Father has called us to do here at Bethel. And so it's going to be on the screen, uh, the words of our vision. Um, and so I want you to say it with me. Okay, y'all ready? Here it is. Bethel Baptist Church exists to make mature disciples for Jesus Christ here, there, and everywhere. And what I hope that you have seen over the past several weeks is that our vision begins with you all. Okay, we, we never make a difference anywhere else, I mean, not even in our community, if we, the people in this room, if we do not become mature disciples for Jesus. And, and, and I've said this, and, and, I hope you, and I hope you're really taking this to heart. Man, I, I really love our partnerships. In fact, I was uh, Facebooking with uh, Dave Strobel this morning, our partner uh, church there in, in Toronto. Um, man, I, I love him, and... And he's coming. He's going to be here with us in May. And so I'm really excited about that. I'm ex- Man, I, I love our partnership in, in Haiti. Uh, some of the kids there, the orphanage in Ryan Epps, I mean, this is, they're just precious, precious children. I would love nothing else to see a church planted among the solar people. Um, we've ordered our plane tickets to go and be flying out April 3rd. Hope you'll pray for us. And so I, I love all of those. But the Father's not blessed, not burdened my heart for all of those as much as we ask for y'all. I mean, I, I can sincerely sit here and say, I, I love you guys. Uh, I mean, eight plus years now, I mean, I, I really love you guys. And, and I want to see you all become the people that God has called you to do. And so that starts with us. If we're going to make a difference here, there, and everywhere, it begins with us becoming mature disciples, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And then we... We branch out. It goes to our family. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And, and just being honest, I don't know if I could stand up here and I could probably quote stats for the next 30 minutes and talk about the erosion of the family. Y'all realize that, right? And so I'm not going to sit up here and bore you with stats uh, and, and do something like that. Marriages, I mean, this is no other way to say it. Marriages are falling apart inside the church, outside the church. Some families, you stay together simply because... Well, you just don't believe in divorce. And it's not that you have a thriving marriage. You just kind of coexist together. And I'm just going to be honest with you. If I believe that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, 
And that God was powerful enough that He could do that. Then I believe that that God's powerful enough to resurrect and love in your life. Okay? And so just, just trying to give hope for us today in our marriage. Now this passage in Ephesians is probably the keystone passage in the entire Bible when it comes to talking about the family. Most of you have read it before. Some of you may have not. But I'm convinced if we take a, just kind of, not just take a bird's eye view, but if we just really put into practice what God says to us in, in this passage, we apply it to our lives. We'll not just have families, we'll have families that thrive. Now here's what I want to do. This is unorthodox. Typically when, when we think about marriage and we want to teach on marriage, we go straight to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. But that's not where I'm going to start. I want to start in verse 18. And so here's, here's what I want to say. First of all, it's going to be first thing on your notes. In order for a family to be healthy and to thrive, both spouses must be filled with the Spirit. Now, when we, we come to this text and we go straight to verse 22, we cripple ourselves. Uh, because when we do that, we completely miss the premise of what is going on that will allow a wife to lovingly submit to her husband. And that's the most unpopular verse in the Scriptures. It, we, we miss what will allow a husband to lovingly self-sacrifice his life for that of his wife. And that's this idea that you have to be filled with the Spirit. This, this is not natural for us to do. It, it's, it, we've got to be empowered for us to do that. And so Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that believers are to be being filled with the Spirit. It's a continual feeling. It's not that just you, you pray a prayer and that, oh, now I'm filled with the Spirit. You might be filled with the Spirit, but look at it like this. You leak. We all leak. Yeah, we're filled with the Spirit one moment, and the next minute we're empty of the Spirit. Does that mean you're not saved? No, I'm not applying that. But I'm saying that we need to continually be doing this. Now, you say, well, how in the world am I to be being filled with the Spirit? Well, uh, Colossians chapter uh, 2 or 3. It's, it's two books after. Um, after after the book of Ephesians. I didn't even write down the chapter and verse, but I'll let you go back and find it, okay? But, but the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians, the content in those two books almost parallel each other. But now, there, Paul really could have written the same material to the, same, to the two different churches, but, but the church in Colossae, they struggled with something that the church in Ephesus did not struggle with. They worshipped angels. And so if Paul would have written be filled with the Spirit to the church at Colossae, do you understand how they, they might would have interpreted that as, as worshiping angels? And so he didn't write, be filled with the Spirit to the church of Colossae. In Colossians, here's what he said, and it, it's the same thing. He said, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And, and for Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, that, that's the same concept. If you're going to be, be being filled with the Spirit, what you are doing is you're letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And so it's the same concept. So if we're going to be filled with the Spirit, we let the, we let the Word of God dwell in us richly. We let the Spirit guide us and teach us this truth. And so Paul says that we need to be being filled with the Spirit. And then here's what happens. You see all of these things in uh, verses 18, 19, and 20 that, that happen as a result of being filled with the Spirit. And then you get to verse 21. If you're filled with the Spirit, here's what happens. You're submitting to one another out of fear of Christ. It's the Spirit that gives us the power to do that. Now, here's the thing. 
It's not like Paul gets to the end of verse 21 and says, all right, that's enough about, that's enough about being filled with the Spirit. Now let's talk about marriage. No. I mean, he's, he's continuing on this thought here. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, he's going to submit to one another. And here's how being filled with the Spirit is going to impact you when it comes to your marriage. And so he's not like he's just changing topics to on us when he gets to the end of verse 21. And so when you are filled with the Spirit, it impacts every area of your life. And it begins, once you, it impacts your life, it begins with your family. I like to think about it like this. I've never been on a sailboat. Anybody ever been on a sailboat? I've never been on a sailboat. There, there are a few of you, you've been on a sailboat. But now I understand the concept of a sailboat. You raise your big sail, the wind blows, it catches, the sail catches all that wind energy, and that moves you along. That's about the concept of a sailboat, right? Now what happens if you don't raise that sail? You're just floating along, right? You, you, the wind could blow as hard as it wants, but you're going to be kind of at the mercy of, uh, of the current. For some of you, you're trying to go through marriage, and you've never raised your sail. You're just floating along. You, you raise your sail when you're filled by the Spirit. The wind, the wind can blow, but when you raise this sail, you're catching the, the energy of the Spirit of God, and it's going to empower you to be the people, to be the person that God has called you to be. So being filled with the Spirit, it's a necessity for families. Now, think about this. What about those who are single? The percentage of single adults is on the rise in the United States of America. People in this room, some of you are single. Now, here's, a, here's something that must be foundational for you if you are a single adult in this room. I want you to catch this. It's not going to be on the screen, but you need to just take it to heart. Being single is not an inferior state to being married. It's not. In fact, up up until around the 1500s, being single was the preferred status of followers of Christ. If you were to go read Paul's letter to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he say, actually says it's better off if you remain single because when you get married, your loyalties are divided. Because as a, as a husband or as a wife, you not only have to think about your relationship to Jesus, you have to think about your relationship to your spouse as well. And you should. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. You should. But just because you're single, that doesn't mean that you're somehow less than those of us who are married. I saw it on Facebook, and I'd read it before in another setting. Um, In fact, some of you may know Bruce Ashford. I've heard this said about uh, Bruce Ashford. Uh, Yeah, he he did come to this church. His parents uh, lived in Bethel for some time. When when I was in college, Bruce Ashford was a a single adult. And all of those young college girls really liked Bruce Ashford, okay? Okay. And Bruce Ashford, he used to say, you know, that um, sometimes he would go to weddings, and some of some of you uh, would probably say something like this, some of you sweet ladies. Hey, Bruce, don't worry about it. You're next. Y- y'all say stuff like, we say stuff like that to those who are single at weddings, right? And he said, well, here's what I started doing. I would go to funerals and look at those little old ladies and say, don't worry, you're next. <laughs> 
I don't know if he said it or not, but it's still funny, right? Singles. Singleness, in all seriousness, is a gift from our loving Heavenly Father. The command of being filled with the Spirit is the same for those who are single. Why? I've never met a single person who still didn't burn with passion. Never have. But just because you're single doesn't mean that somehow your passion for intimacy changes. And if you're not careful, here's what's going to happen. In your singleness, if you're not filled with the Spirit, you're going to give in to those passions. And it takes somebody who is going to continually be filled with the Spirit to stay faithful in his walk with Jesus. He's going to be faithful. Do you know that the average age of a marriage, uh, of people getting married, continues to rise? You know, used to, you might think, 18, 19 years old. Now it's getting up there 23, 24, 25, you know, 26. The average age is just climbing, climbing. Y'all realize why that is, right? It's not a good thing. Uh, people are enjoying the fruit of marriage without making the commitment to one another. They say, because we're enjoying the fruit of that marriage, I can wait as long as we won't to actually make it official. And that's not a good thing. It, it takes, in, in, your, in, your mar- in your single state, it, it takes you being filled with the Spirit of God to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Got to be filled with the marriage, uh, got to be filled with the Spirit, just like those who are married have to be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's move and let's talk about the purpose of marriage. We'll see this at the end of the text. Look down at verses 31 and 32. What's the purpose? The purpose of marriage is to, is to give a picture of the gospel. Now notice what he says there. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And here's what he says, verse 32. This mystery is profound. It's, it's hard to wrap our minds around this, but here's what I'm saying, Paul says. That this, this marriage, it refers to Christ and the church. The Bible says that our marriages between a man and a woman, they represent the marriage between Jesus and the church. Jesus is referred to as the groom and the church. Those who believe in Jesus as their Savior, we we are part of the bride. Our marriages represent the gospel. Now, because, because the purpose of the marriage, now listen to this, because the purpose of marriage is to give a clear picture of the gospel that dispels, that, 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 that kind of destroys two myths we have about marriage. Here's the two myths. And I'm going to state them from a point of, uh, of kind of dispelling them. First of all, that means, because marriage is a picture of the gospel, that means marriage is not ultimate for you. Marriage is not the ultimate end for you. For some, now listen to this, especially if you're single. For some, your identity and your self-worth are tied up in whether or not you found a spouse or whether or not you find a spouse to love you and to treat you the way you want to be treated. And if you don't get that, your life begins to crumble. Your whole ambition in life is, is I want to grow up and I want to find someone to, to, to be my husband or to be my wife. And if I don't find somebody to treat me the way I want to be treated, then my life is just kind of meaningless. Listen, you're identity, your self-worth, if you're a follower of Christ, your identity has to be in Him. No man or woman will ever be able to fill that role in your life. J.D. Greer says it this way. Unhappy single people, lonely, unhappy single people 
get married and become married, lonely, unhappy married. You have to begin to find your identity and your self-worth in Christ or your marriage is going to be everything you want to be. Now here's the second thing. Secondly, the myth is we marriage, we, we, we measure our marriage, uh, we measure our life uh, by our marriages. You, marriage is the barometer of whether or not our life is successful. And, and if you begin to see marriage as the purpose of picturing the gospel, you'll gauge the success of your life by the degree to which you've been faithful to... If I can... If you have been faithful to Christ and proclaimed the gospel. Now, I want you to catch this. For some of you, here's how you viewed the meaning of your life. Did I get married? Did I have children? And did I set them up to be successful? And if you've done those things, then you view like your life has been successful. That's not the barometer by which we measure it. Here's what we measure success by. Have I been faithful in my walk with Jesus in bringing about spiritual children? You see, the goal of your life is not to have physical children. If you're a follower of Christ, the goal of your life is to have spiritual children. You want to raise up people to become faithful followers for Jesus Christ. And and those spiritual children will last with you for an eternity. Now, those of you who are single, when you remain faithful to Christ in your singleness, you picture the gospel because you're showing that Jesus is sufficient to meet your deepest deepest needs. When I see someone that is single for their, in, in their life and in their walk with Jesus and they're remaining faithful to Him, that says something to me about that person because I, I see in that person that Jesus is meeting their deepest needs in their life. And so, here's where we are. Okay, if we're going to be, have these great families, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. And we've got to understand that our, that our goal is to picture the gospel. And here's what follows. You can fulfill your role in marriage faithfully. Now here's that very unpopular verse again. Go back up to verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now let me say this. Husbands, stay away from this verse. It's not yours. It's not written to you. Don't you ever bring it up to your spouse. Okay? This is God's word to your, to, to your spouse. You have your own verse that we'll get to in just a moment. Okay? Now, ladies, hear me well. No matter what our culture says about submitting to your husband, this verse does not diminish you at all. I, I remember with a young lady in, um, a few years ago, we did a, a marriage weekend. And she confessed before everybody that when she got married, she made sure that her verse, uh, that her vows did not say that she had to submit to her husband. And our culture says that's a terrible thing, but according to the scriptures, it's not a terrible thing. Well, how do I know that? Because of who Jesus is. And Jesus says this. He says that each of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that you are of infinite value to Him and that you are someone that He loved enough that He died for. He never, ever, ever says that you are somehow less important than a man. Never does Jesus say that. In fact, what He speaks of here in verse 22 of submitting to your husbands, He perfectly modeled for you. You say, well, how did He do that? 
Was Jesus equal with the Father? Was he equal with the Spirit? Of course, within the Trinity, uh, there, there's, there's no degrees of one's higher than the other. There's, there's perfect equality within the Godhead. He was God in the flesh, equal with the Father, equal with the Spirit. However, even though he was equal with them, he chose to become obedient to the Father to the point of death. Was he any less God because he submitted to the Father? And the answer is no. Are you any less of a person if you submit to your husband? Not at all. But now husbands, it's mutual submission. That's, that's what verse 21 says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now husbands, you can love your wives, verse 25, as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now wives, you stay away from this verse. Don't say it to your spouse, okay? This is for him. Don't, don't say, honey, you're not loving me as Christ loved the church. You say, well, what does this look like, pastor? It means that we learn to, to live and to make decisions that are not based on what we want for our own selves, but what our wives want. We begin to not think about, oh, how can I get my way? But instead, how can I make my bride happy? Leanne's not here, so I can talk about her. Um, you know, I, I wish I could stand up here and say that Leanne and I, you know, just have this perfect marriage that you know, we, we never fight, we never argue. But that's not true. I, I've only ever met one couple in, in my life that I, I don't think they've ever had an argument in, in their life, and they're sitting right back here. Miss Rachel and Mr. Elton. I, I mean, I'm just serious. They, they, I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Uh, they are the the sweetest people. In, in fact, someone asked them not too long ago, I can't remember which, if it was Miss Rachel or Mr. L, and they, they was asked, do y'all ever fight? And I think it was Mr. L, and he said, well, no. I mean, they're just the sweetest people that, I, that I've ever met. Outside of you two, I, I've never met a couple who, who do not have disagreements and arguments. In fact, it's a miracle that Leanne and I made it past our first year. I, I mean, it's... It, some of y'all agree with that, right? I mean, it's just a miracle. So, marriage is tough. You put two sinners living together in the same roof and, and fireworks are, are going to explode. But after being married for going on 12 years now, and many of you have been married longer than I have, I can trace our arguments today back to one word. Selfishness. When I want to get what I want, she wants to get what she wants. And neither one of us get what we want. We argue. We fuss. We fight. I don't feel like I'm getting loved, and she doesn't feel like she's getting respected, and it, just, it goes in this vicious cycle. In, in fact, it's an interesting statement, and, I, and I'm trying to hurry up. At the end of this passage, it says, it says, Husbands, make sure that you love your wives. Wives, make sure that you respect your husbands. You know, the Bible doesn't call you ladies to, to, to love your husbands because that's not the primary thing we need. The primary thing we need is respect. It's the way God has, has wired us. And husbands, the primary thing that your wives need is, is love. They need to know that you are uh, you, you love them and you're there for them. You say, well, you know, I'll move to the next point and I'll close with something else. Here's the next point, last thing. Here's what will follow. Secondly, we can choose to love and show grace when we're wrong. When we're filled with the Spirit, we're understanding that our marriage is to be a picture of the gospel. We can choose to show love and grace when we're wrong. 
again, when you're married, you know that arguments are going to come. You know that there's going to come a time in your life where your spouse just messes up and you get mad. When you get hurt, you feel like your she is, has completely just messed everything up. What are you going to do in those moments? If you're filled with the Spirit, you can show love and you can show grace. You say, well, how can I do that? Because that is the example that our Savior gave us. That's the example of our spouse. Remember, Jesus is our husband. We are his bride. I want you to think about this. Man, this is just so worshipful. There was a time in the life of Jesus that he came to his bride and his bride did not receive him. There was a time in Jesus' life that he came to lay down his life for his bride, and instead of getting love in return, people spit on him. And people mocked him. And people beat him. And people drove spikes through his hands and in his feet. And as he hung on a cross, suspended in the air, gasping for every breath that he took, he prayed this prayer, Father, forgive me, for they know not. That is what your spouse, your heavenly spouse, has done for you. I'm not positive of this, but I don't think there's a spouse in this room that's ever tried to crucify one another. Jesus did. His spouse tried to crucify him. He did crucify him. And he still stands. And I'm not implying that there are not boundaries within a marriage and there aren't times that are right for you to move out and, and, and to get away from, a, from an abusive spouse. I would never advise a woman or a man to stay in an abusive relationship. But there are times when we have been wronged, where our feelings have been hurt, that the proper course of action is that we follow the example of Jesus and we show love and grace to our spouse. Now here's the question that always rises up. Pastor, what if my spouse is not showing that same love in return? Pastor, I want to love my spouse as Christ loved the church. I want to submit to the leadership of my husband or vice versa. But they're not loving me in the same way. What should I do? You do faithfully what the Father has called you to do. You say, well, I, that just doesn't make sense to me. Remember this. Your purpose is to imitate the gospel. And when you're imitating the gospel, what the gospel says is, is that even though somebody may wrong me, I'm going to still show them love in return. That's exactly what Jesus has done for us. While we were still sinners, He still came and died for us. We faithfully do our Now, I want to close with one very, very simple practical application. It's nothing that's earth-shattering, but it can be very profound in having a great effect on your marriage. In fact, it's just a very simple prayer. When you wake up in the morning, here's what you say. Father, what can I do to serve my Lord, today, what can I do to serve my wife? What can I do 
to serve my husband. Sing it. What can I do to serve somebody else? Children, if you want to make your parents pass out, you ask your parents, what can I do to serve you in this way? And you're looking at your children, right? You want them to ask that. Now, if you ask them that, you have to follow through on it. But you, under, but you see what you're doing? You be, you're beginning to change your focus. It's no longer about whether or not I'm getting my needs met. You're beginning to say, what can I do to show the love of God? Very simple prayer. What can I do to serve you this day? And here's my word of caution. Don't do it. do it because you love me. And that will Father, in Jesus' name, give us healthy families. Lord, if, if our marriages are to imitate the gospel, if our marriages are to be a picture to the watching world around us of what the gospel is, Lord, give us faithful marriages. Give us faithful Lord, protect us. Protect our children. May they see the gospel modeled before us. Lord, do it for your glory. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, here's our invitation.